3: bag edition of the call up here, which I've been wanting to do this for a little bit. We just had so many things on the docket, Jack, that I think we've been putting this off and we got a lot of awesome questions on Twitter from those of you who responded to my personal tweets, as well as the tweets on uh, the call up pods, Twitter there. I'm Arm Layton. He's Jack McMullen. And we got a wide range of questions. I baked in two questions so that we don't have to have like two different segments because of course we're going to talk about Pete Crow Armstrong's call up to the big leagues. We're going to talk yeah. about Samuel Basayo's promotion to double a in the Orioles system, but those are two questions that are baked in. So we'll start with those two, but a lot of fun things. Of course, we, we could have done another promotions episode as, as the high a season's ending, but
1: instead we're just going to highlight the promotions and some of the questions that we were asked. First and foremost, shout out the Fort Wayne Tin Caps who are in the Midwest League playoffs. I was thinking about getting in the car and going up there. Got a day game in Omaha that I'll call from Indy on Tuesday. Then you've got the playoffs on on Tuesday night in Fort Wayne. If Lesko was starting, I was going to go. But Dylan Lesko is not starting. So I will not be going, but I will watch uh, on MLB TV. Um, But yeah, man, like, I don't know. Prospect mailbags are really funny because I'll look at some of the replies and I'll see some names and they're just so far over my head where it's like, "Arm, that's you, dude. Like I'm just going to kind of kick it to you and I'll see if I can ask a strategic follow up. But uh, mailbags are so much fun because, A, you have direct communication with people that listen to the show. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for asking questions. Um, and B, it's a good chance to talk about things that we don't often talk about. I feel like we are um, not pigeonholed, but I feel like our primary focus Is on guys that are moving up levels and chances are over the course of a given year, the storylines in minor league baseball revolve around 20 to 25 guys. And I feel like we've talked about 20 to 25 guys a lot. And this is an opportunity to talk about some guys that we don't talk about all the time.
3: Yes. Well, as we segue into Pete Carl Armstrong, of course, though, ironically, but no, a hundred percent, there's some, there's some really fun names in here to, to highlight some recently drafted guys and, and some other topics that we might even just kind of end up zooming out and and discussing that may not have been specific questions, but we'll start with a very open ended one because I I just, we we were going to hit on PCA anyways, and this comes from Frankie and I'm not going to say all the numbers on X. It's like legitimately 14. It's like a full phone number on there. Uh, what is PCA going to mean for the Cubs? So this is very open-ended and, and, and I'll focus on what I would assume to be the short-term aspect of this question. Like I, I feel like this meant more for the short-term and that's where it's really interesting. Long-term PCA is the Cubs center fielder, you know, of the future and a guy that should win gold gloves and, you know, just, just anchor that outfield, but short-term, This is an interesting promotion. Uh, We talked about why it made sense for Canario to get the bump before PCA because you want to see PCA get those regular at-bats at the AAA level. And and I know that Cubs fans have been very frustrated about how little they've really seen Canario on the field since he's been promoted because they're going to roll with what's working. And Canario was just kind of brought up to be a – reinforcement on the bench that can really run into baseballs. PCA is different. If he's coming up, I think he's going to play. I think he's going to play a fair amount. Uh, Maybe he doesn't play against lefties know, maybe they, they shelter him in certain situations, but overall he's going to play. And and it is worth noting that he does have pretty consistent splits, uh, both against righties and lefties. The reason why they brought him up, I I believe is, is kind of similar to why we saw Jordan Lawler brought up with the diamondbacks. It's we have a veteran who's faltering, maybe not to the degree that Nick Ahmed was with, with the Diamondbacks, because Mike Tauchman's still a, a one-and-a-half-win player this year, but he has been putrid over the last month-plus. I mean, he's hitting you know, well under the Mendoza line over his last 20-plus games, and yes, Talkman's a fine defender out there. He's actually pretty good, but you know, PCA is special and, and can literally make game-saving, game-changing catches. I don't know if they're so bought into the rest of this season that maybe PCA is a fourth outfielder, pinch runner, defensive replacement kind of guy, or they play him. I I think it's going to be the latter because of how much Tachman has struggled. And then again, similar to Lawler, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, if he hits 200 or 180, that's what we were getting before anyways. And we're getting way more tools and probably more exciting and dynamic uh impact across the board and i feel like that's kind of the approach that the cubs are taking here
1: yeah so over the last six games cody bellinger has played center field four times but he's played first base twice and talkman has played center field twice he's dh twice he's sat twice why is Mike Talkman DHing for a team that's like in the wild card picture right now? He shouldn't be, especially when he's sputtering like this. Um, I would kill for Canario to be DHing instead of Mike Talkman. Um, and I would kill for Morel to be DHing instead of Mike Talkman. And and Morrell is DHing when when Talkman isn't. But I think the way that this looks for the final three weeks of the season is Bellinger is your full-time first baseman. PCA is pretty much your full-time center fielder and your DH is Candelario or it's Morell and Magical has done a pretty good job holding down third base for them. So PCA is coming up to play every day. I think it's a direct a promotion demotion with Talkman much like the Ahmed Lawler thing. Yeah. The one that really frustrates me is you know, if you were going to do this, why wouldn't you just do it on September 1st? And I was happy that they didn't do it on September 1st because he hit a really rough stretch. And I thought Canario was more prepped to play sporadically. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I know things change over the last 10 days, but like, really? Like now? Yeah, That's kind of what I think tells you just how frustrated
3: maybe they are with the performance of talkman, because again, I, I really think it made sense to wait on on calling up Pete crow Armstrong. And there's some some interesting levels to this as well, where, I mean, you look at the batted ball data, um there's some yellow flags in there. Uh, and yes, he's yeah. been incredibly productive. and and that's really encouraging. And and you look at the surface level stats, they're fantastic. he He's riding. A hot streak of of a couple of games here, seven hits in the in the last two games, including a, a grand slam and a four hit game in his final game at the Triple A level. So I think I think that was part of it too. I think they're like, let's just get this guy up here while he's hot. If he gives us five, seven, eight, whatever it is, really good games down the stretch here, that's worth it. And then we we go into the postseason with you know what we've got. I think it's a weird approach because there is the level of. Maybe he's overmatched. Maybe he struggles. And you could have probably had Mike Tockman working through whatever he's slumping with and seeing if he can kind of turn it around by the time the postseason comes around. Now it's like they're going to play PCA. If he struggles, then they're going to play you know, Tockman again. And then PCA won't be eligible for the playoff roster. Right. So it's, it's a really interesting approach here. But I think, again, it's kind of all hands on deck. Highlighting some of the yellow flags. I mean, we're talking about a guy here with a 73% zone contact rate, which I mean, that's that 73% zone contact and and a chase rate over 30%. There are very, 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 very few players at the big league level who can run those numbers and succeed that aren't monster power guys. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think I saw Jarrett Seidler of baseball prospectus highlight that Really, the only guy with similar batted ball data that is in the big leagues right now is Teoscar Hernandez, who, you know, isn't having the best year in the world and also hits the ball harder. Um, but again, there's there's exceptions to everything. And I think the one thing that PCA has working for him is he hits the ball in the air consistently. I mean, only a 32% ground ball rate. So if he runs into home runs, plays good defense at really good defense, and you know, is able to just kind of catch lightning in a bottle here. He could be really solid for them. But but the concern is, you know, over over time here, are some of these you know, red flags in the data, which is super high chase rate, more whiff than you'd like to see, are those things going to improve? And and we'll, we'll we'll find out. But it seems like something that could get exposed a little bit at the big league level, or it can be a place where he makes the tweaks that he needs to make and you know ends up kind of settling in a little bit there. So I'm interested to see how that goes.
1: Would you say the zone contact was 73, 73, but in triple it's
3: even lower than
1: that. Yeah. I mean, there are very few guys at the big league level that have a zone contact that low. If we're being on it, if I'm just looking at fan graphs here, zone contact Um, and then what chase rate, you said 30%. Yeah. None, and that's the thing is if you're, if you're going to be a, a higher whiff
3: guy, if you're running a chase <laughs> rate, around 33%, it's going to be really hard to succeed.
1: So I will say it's it's very similar to Christopher Morrell. And Morrell is 76% zone contact, 32% chase right now. Other guys that kind of fall into this bucket are, are Nolan Gorman, way bigger power than PCA. Jose Siri, Siri, I think Siri might be the best comp actually because it's world-class defender, blazing speed. Siri may have a little bit more juice. He does. But the difference That's- is PCA lifts. So that's the thing. So
3: PCA may turn that into game power more. And again, the difference between PCA, because people are probably saying, well, if you're comparing him to these guys, why is he a top prospect? Because PCA is 21. Mm-hmm. And, and I think he's going to make the adjustments needed to be, you know, a, an, at least an average contact rate guy. I really do. And he's made so many strides, I think, with 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 the bat this year and to, to be able to even make this a possibility. Um, that's the difference. We're talking about a 21-year-old in a system that is just really – Really overhauled its ability to develop hitters. Morel is a guy. I mean, 90th percentile of 108. I mean, that's big, big boy stuff. Uh, yeah. That's not going to be what you're going to see from a PCA. But on the flip side, PCA is hitting the ball in the air consistently, and you know does a lot of things really well. So I think that's the profile of what you can hope for from PCA tomorrow in the big leagues. But long term, I think you're hoping he develops into you know an average hitter with with the contact rates. And, you know, kind of keeps building off of that, which I think he can be. You talk about some of these other guys. There was never really much of a hit tool projection there. You kind of knew it was always going to be fringy. So that's that's the good news with PCA. Uh, he can he can make game saving game altering plays in the outfield. And again, yeah. he can he can get hot here and just ride a streak and give them a shot. And I think that's what they want. Uh, but long term, I'm really interested to see that the, uh, what adjustments he makes in the offseason uh, to be able to kind of make more consistent contact, especially within the zone, and also cut down on the chase because that's something that'll be exposed. You you can't whiff in the zone and chase. Uh, it's going to be hard to succeed when you got both of those things going on.
1: I just I wish they gave Canario a shot before they did this. Yeah. Canario has been up for 10 days and he has one plate appearance under his belt. Bellinger can hold down center field, obviously, thing about canario is he's not like lefty exclusive he hit like a buck 60 i think he was four for 25 against lefties in triple a this year but he hit 300 and the ops climbs 300 points against right-handed pitching yeah so he's a reverse splits guy like if you're looking for somebody to play every day you had him there in canario so slap canario in a corner or having dh have bellinger play center field full-time it's exciting from a prospect ranking perspective but I, this feels a little knee jerk. Yeah, it does. And it's going to be interesting to see how it goes, but I'm excited
3: for Cubs fans. I'm excited for PCA by, yeah. all,
1: by all accounts, a really awesome dude.
3: And you know, he's, he's earned the, the chance. He's really done everything in his power. And I, yeah. I know he's not looking at his underlying batted ball metrics. He's saying, I'm, bro, I hit a grand slam and had four hits yesterday. Like that, that's what he's doing and feeling good. (laughs) uh, Yeah. I'm excited to see, you know, some of the, there's going to be that human highlight real play that he makes within the first week that I think is going to really get people excited. So let's hope he just starts hot and rolls out there and, uh, and and can kind of just ride a hot streak and and help the Cubs here as they make that playoff push uh, in that wild card spot. I think they're number two hanging right there, right behind the Phillies. Yeah. Guy that got promoted to double a. And this is a question that comes from Jack Bain, 20 B-A-Y-N-E on X with Basayo getting promoted to double. Do you see the Orioles holding on to him and having him as a backup catcher slash first base option or shopping him in the coming years? I, I, you know, I I don't think that this is something that even crossed the Orioles mind. The reason why I brought this question in here is that I kind of want to mention how he stacks up to some of the other prospects and why, if, if I'm the Orioles and I'm looking to make a move why I would move a handful of guys before I even consider moving Samuel Basayo. But let's let's start with what this guy has done because it has been amazing. This is his age 18 season. He just turned 19. I mean, he, he turned 19, I believe, after his promotion to high A. Went nuts in high A. I don't think people like, I don't know if people totally realize how insane he went in high A. This dude in 27 games, eight home runs, he walked nearly as much as he struck out. It was a 17% walk rate, 17.5% K rate, slash 333, 443, 688 for a 195 WRC plus at that level. That comes after 83 games of 12 home runs in low A where he posted a 149 WRC plus. This guy's striking out less than 20% of the time. He's walking among the best. You know, He's walking a ton. And he's just been awesome. I don't think he's gonna catch long term. I think he's probably gonna play first. And yes, does that dampen the profile a little bit? Sure. But he, him and Xavier Isaac are like cut from the same cloth in terms of what they're doing offensively. But Sio may be even more advanced at a slightly younger, you know, age here with the bat. And that's why we're seeing him already in double. It's unbelievable how, how, how well this guy has played this year. And man, we'll talk about kind of whether they would move him or not. I think he's nearing untouchable range for the Orioles, uh, with, with how exciting and projectable this bat is. And a left-handed power bat, yeah, you know, it plays a
1: lot better in Baltimore than a righty. You ready for me to look into the crystal ball right now? Yes. He's a top ten prospect in baseball as a first baseman. <laughs> they move Mount Castle when Basayo is ready. Um, and he is the MJ Melendez type, where Melendez has caught 20 games this year, but MJ Melendez is really a corner outfielder at this point. Basayo is going to be a first baseman. He can sporadically catch. I think it's going to be very similar to what you've seen with Henry Davis, where like Davis is kind of sort of catching. He's not catching at the big leagues, but he might down the road, but he's playing right field. And like when you look at the Pirates lineup in the near and far future, Henry Davis is the everyday right fielder. Yeah. Samuel Basayo at some point is going to be the everyday first baseman for the Baltimore Orioles because Adley is going to be the everyday catcher. And Basayo is going to be one of the best hitting first basemen in baseball. He's 18 years old. He's this good already. What 18 year old dominates high A like this, man? No, no, he's, he's he's
3: not. He turned 19 a month
1: ago. So he's all right. Yeah. He's, no, he's, moot point then. Basayo yeah. sucks. No, he's it's old. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. What, it's unbelievable. Like, what 19 year old dominates high A like this? I'm telling you, man, like this is the kind of guy that you buy into is the rocket ship. Yep. And yes, he's kind of got that catcher, which if he's a catcher as opposed to a first baseman that shoots him up prospect list right now. But when this guy becomes a full-time first baseman in the upper minors, and I think that move is coming, he pretty much split half and half when he was in Aberdeen. I think this guy offensively takes off in a way that the the, the industry is looking at him like you looked at Tristan Casas, yeah. where it was yeah. this is the highest floor bat of a prospect with a big ceiling that you will ever see. Which is so funny because I you
3: saw what, what Casas did in the first half this year and how he kind of struggled. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I... I went on the show like bi-weekly and was just like, you can punch me in the face if this guy doesn't pan out. And I'm like thinking about, it, I'm like, okay, well, there goes my credibility. And then he is the best hitter in major league baseball over the second half. But I'm with you. Like, I think that's a perfect comparison of like, yeah, he has a little bit more to show in double a before we like stamp him with the, with the Casa stamp, but like he's well on his way because the difference is it's so hard for a first base prospect to be a top 25 guy, but is already top 60, you know, in in our top 100 list, he's going to be well inside the top 50, maybe be higher than that when we get to the update here at the end of the season. And I mean, that says enough. That says enough about the bat. I'm not putting him in there because of, oh, he's going to catch. I'm assuming when, I, when I'm grading Basayo and when I'm ranking him that he's not catching. You have to operate under that assumption because it just doesn't seem incredibly likely. Can I give you his last 20 games, the stats, how, how comical these are? 429. 529, 914 slash line. That's a 1444 OPS, eight home runs, 15 walks, 13 strikeouts. He has more extra base hits than strikeouts by almost, I, I think by like five more. And he's just crushing balls to the side. Again, he just turned 19. And what's most amazing to me is, is he's just gotten better and better and better as the year's gone on. Not because... something's different with his environment or, you know, Oh, it's just a different competition and like sneaky, worse pitching. And no, it's simply, this is a teenage hitter who's just getting better. Like in real time, it's very rare to see a guy get this, like improve this much week over week, over week, over week. But he's a kid who is literally learning on the fly. And is that good? Um, So it's to answer the question, he's not going anywhere, especially knowing the way the Orioles operate. I think they trade from that glut of top 200 prospects, if you know what I'm saying. You know, like the Dylan Beavers, the Judd Fabians, uh, those guys. I I would even, I'd move a Joey Ortiz before I move a a guy like, I I think before I move a guy like Basayo, because Basayo has the uh, potential to be one of the, like you mentioned, one of the better power bats in the bigs. Ortiz is like high floor, well-rounded, good shortstop. I, I really think that this is, you look at Jackson Holiday, untouchable. You look at you know a couple of the other top, top, top guys. Kobe Mayo is another one where it's like, I think he can play third long term. So I think they they probably keep him over there. Other than that, like Mayo, Mayo's darn near untouchable too. And it's Basayo. I think that it, those three. Kurstad is another one. Like it's really tough, man. You, you, like who are you moving of this group?
1: Yeah. So I'm probably moving Kurstad. What I think you do when Basayo's ready, and Basayo's not going to be ready to break camp next year, I don't even think he's ready to debut next year. But I think when, when you're sitting there at the winter meetings between the 24 and 2025 seasons, I think that Mike Elias is probably looking at this trio of Ryan Mountcastle, who is, I think, in arbitration at that point, of Heston Kerstad, who has played more first base than he has in the corners in Norfolk. And of Samuel Basayo, who will at that point probably be a Norfolk tide, and he's looking at those three, and it's like, okay, we got to move one. So Basayo, untouchable. You scan the market for what Mount Castle can get you. If you are happy with the Mount Castle return, if he puts together a good twenty-four, then you move Mount Castle and you open it up for Kirstad and Basayo because more service. But if Mount Castle isn't getting you what you need, that's when you move Kirstad. Yeah. You're going to have to move one of those three. Yeah,
3: and and Mayo being you know 21 years old in AAA, showing flashes of just ridiculous power. Uh, that's yeah. a guy that I again I think he's really improved the defensive outlook. That helps. You can you can peg him at third. Yeah, they've got a really 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 fun outlook here, and they don't need to move Basayo at all because he doesn't. He's not Rule Five eligible for a very long. This guy just signed, so I mean, he just, just signed. signed. So he won't be Rule Five eligible until December of 2025. So that's really 2026. So there's no urgency here to have to add him to the 40-man roster crunch, any of that stuff. So he's not going anywhere anytime soon in any deal. I think they'll, they'll they can put together a Norby. They could put together packages that keep Basayo untouchable and even the biggest of of deals. And I think with Kirstad looking like he could be every day big leaguer ready at first base next year, as you mentioned, and I think be better than Mountcastle. Maybe not through the first couple months, but eventually it's a lefty bat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know Mount Castle like overcame some things that, you know, Vertigo and things like that to to be able to to hit again and has been much better. But I I really feel like they could end up moving off of a Mount Castle because they've got Cursed Dad. And then if Cursed Dad disappoints you a little bit, then maybe Basayo is ready by then. Like there's a lot of moving parts in the best way possible. And I think that's why we will not see Basayo moved, and we'll see some other guys moved. And again, I knowing the way the Orioles approach it. I think it'll be that glut of prospects from like the
1: eight to 15 range that they have. They put my brain in a blender and I want to sit down and it may be a terrible podcast episode, but I want to record it with you anyways. And I would, um, I don't know. I would just force you to do it with me. Like what does the best version of the 2025 Baltimore Orioles look like? And like, okay. Okay. You know, it's it's Gunner at short and Holiday at second or Holiday at short. Gunner at second. I like Mayo Holiday at, at second. I, I really
3: think Holiday like he can play shortstop every day, but I think he profiles in, in this situation better
1: at second base. OK, so like it's Mayo at third, Gunner at short, Holiday at second, Visayo at first, Rutschman catching. What do you do with Westberg and Ortiz and Nor- like there well, are Visayo so many-
3: DHS, Kirstad plays first.
1: Sure. Dare is going to be a free agent. Like, yeah, it, dude, it's exciting. It's really exciting. It's exciting. exciting. So I, that's an oh, offseason dude. thing. I'm just going to make you sit down and and look at like, OK, who's expendable? Who needs to be traded this year? Who needs to be traded next year? That kind of thing.
3: And it's scary. And that's why I get why they don't make the moves, because it's like, you better be right. Because yeah. we're, basically, we're trying to decide who's going to be the long term big league contributors. And that's something that no matter how much you see in the minor leagues, no, no matter how much data you have. You never know. You never know. So it's it's going to be fun to to kind of try to unpack that make our predictions and you know see how the Orioles approach it. A guy that I don't know if the Padres had him in in their plans or not. I I've been relentless in my belief in Luis Camposano. This this question comes from Kyle Stelter at Kyle Stelter 78 on X. I'm just fully leaning into the X thing now. Uh sure he's he i always have great interactions with him on twitter really appreciate Kyle he he asks a lot of great questions and always has some funny witty replies to some prospect stuff i know he's a Padres guy and the question is with Campisano balling out now who could you see having a similar type of emergence where they just need a chance and the talent is there. We're, we're going to spare the Michael Bush. We're going to spare the Aranda and Ortiz conversation here. I do want to quickly highlight Luis Camposano who should have always had this opportunity. How many times have we talked about campy in this where it's like, I know that some, there were reports of some pitchers not wanting to throw to him and whatever, and all that stuff. And I get it, but this team has been incredibly underwhelming. Campusano has consistently raked in AAA, and at this point, like Noah was giving you nothing, they're getting nothing from other guys. I think Noah was trying to play through it, like didn't even know he was concussed from what from what I've gathered. Like it was just a a disaster there, and they have a guy that has shown to be very impactful, at least with the stick. And they were only wheeling him out there like in pinch hitting spots and like spot starting, and we're not going to give you another opportunity through 39 games for Campy a 123 WRC plus the defense has been fine. He's at five home runs and he's accumulated a, a, a 0.6 F4. That's already better than anything they've gotten from the catching position over the last like, two years. I I'm glad that he finally is getting the opportunity and I'm glad that he's finally developing again. It's kind of prospect fatigue guy. He's not even 25 yet, but it, it does kind of inspire some other thoughts of you know, who else could be like this catching wise. Most of the time, these guys it's rare to see catchers not get opportunities like this. So, I don't know if we'll see anyone that's very similar to Camposano. I know I have a couple of players, you have a couple of players, and we're going to go from there. I want to start with with Justin Foscue, just because this is a guy that I can say with a high degree of confidence would be able to just hold it down at the big league level. And I get why he's not up there right now because where is he going to play with the Texas Rangers? But I, I just I'm so bored of watching this guy in, in AAA. He's never going to put up just video game numbers. But he's always going to be solid. And it's just what what is it going to take? He's going to always be an 850, 8, 875 OPS guy in the PCL. And maybe people discount that because it's the PCL. I get that. But this is a guy that puts up over 90% zone contact rates, doesn't chase exit velocities that are above average, 90th percentile of 103, some defensive questions, but at least he can play second, third, you know, passable third and first base. Like I just want to see this guy play because I know if he got called up to the big leagues for a different team right now, I'm not saying he'd light it on fire, but I think he'd be very solid and serviceable. And there's a lot of teams that, you know, Foscu could, I think, be an upgrade for in the infield.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great pick. Um, I've got a couple. Uh, I think Brooks Lee might get blocked out. Interesting like maybe second base, but they have so much financially tied to Carlos Correa. Like I'm they're just going to run that. Who's, play, who's playing third Royce Royce probably. Yeah. It's a weird spot for Lee. It's a weird spot for Brooks Lee. I think Brooks Lee might get blocked out a little bit. There are a couple other guys that I I, I can fly through. I mean, we just kind of hit the Orioles backlog. Like I think her there's a chance that he kind of hangs out in AAA for a little bit. Um, there's another draft guy that like he was drafted this year, but he's already in Double A, and I'm thinking long term, where does he fit in? Matt Shaw, yeah, who's gonna play third out of those three? Because they just extended Horner, they signed Dansby to a seven year deal. Shaw's gonna be ready next year. Where's he playing? Well,
3: Shaw's a guy that yeah, I think he'll be ready by mid season next year. Um, But
1: is he going to get a chance if Nico's healthy and Dansby's healthy? Well, Shaw could play third, right? Could he? I think so. I I, I like him better at third than at at,
3: at short. I I don't think he's a shortstop. Um, I know you felt like he was a second baseman, though. I do. I do. But I think you can justify third. And I think if he puts the work in and gets more reps there, like that might be the spot. But that is an interesting one to, to monitor because also like. Where does Morrell play? You can't keep weaponizing Morrell in this. Like, I get it this year because he's 24 and just turned 24, right. but Morrell needs to start seeing more consistent playing time. And maybe he plays somewhere in the outfield next year. But I think the Cubs in general have a little bit of this kind of situational logjam because you know you you have PCA who's going to need to to play next year, especially now that you've already called him up to the big leagues. And yeah. that's that's what makes me wonder if they're actually going to pay Bellinger or not because. Again, it's just I don't know if he contributes to the logjam quite as much because he's a center field slash first base and has the versatility and he's so good out there in center. But you got to find a spot for Morel, who's like kind of like weirdly a tweener positionally. Like they don't love him at third because he throws like cutters. Uh, That he's he's not the best defensive outfielder in the world. Like it's it's a little bit like hit or miss. And then again, they're they're kind of taken care of in the corners with Hap and with with uh, Suzuki Suzuki. So does he DH for you? You know, Candelario is going to be a free agent. Maybe Morel is your DH and, and platoon guy that you move around. But yeah, I, I could see they, they got some things to, to, to figure out before before Shaw gets there. Uh, and, and then once he's ready, it's going to be really interesting to see how that all unfolds because you're not touching that defensive infield up the middle. That's one of the best in baseball. Um, but maybe that can make it a little bit more palatable if Shaw is, you know, average at best at third when you've got elite middle infield defense.
1: Yeah, but the one that really jumped out to me was Brooks Lee because I'm thinking like, all right, <laughs> Royce is at third, Correa is at short, Julian is probably at second moving Second's forward. I guess DH and maybe you, yeah. you have him in the DH role, but like Buxton's been clogging that up when he's when he's playing. And I know, like I want Lee, I want Lee at, at shortstop or third base, but like Correa is financially committed there. Do you move Royce to center? No, because he tore his ACL no. there. Yeah, like Brooks like, Lee's a very Brooks Lee's a very tough one to try and fit into this jigsaw puzzle of a fully healthy Twins team. I I think you're totally right, and it's going to be interesting to see how they how they go about that. It could be one of
3: those situations where they kind of rotate the DH. Lee's yeah. playing second. He's playing third. Maybe spot starting at short to give Correa days off, who clearly like has he some physical it. ailments. Um, and and that might be the way that Lee kind of stays in the lineup where it's like, you feel like he's not playing every day because he's not in the same spot, but then you look at the, the numbers at the end of the year and you're like, Oh, that guy got 550 plate appearances, but I I agree. They're going to have to get creative with, with how they're going to use Brooks Lee because he's going to be, he should break camp realistically next year. There's no reason for this guy to play more than a month or two in AAA next season. Uh, he's already settling in on, on a different level. I think in triple we're seeing the power start to seep through a little bit. We're seeing him just really put together great at bats. He's not striking out. He walks a ton. Just like, I'm not going to, this is going to be a guy that I'm going to be very annoyed of seeing in AAA after a couple of months next year, if he's up there. Yep. Yep. Last guy I wanted to mention, and, and I think he's going to have a clear path and, and and get more of an opportunity next year is Tyler black. Um, I, I find it interesting that, you know, we're seeing the brewers kind of like sign Josh Donaldson to a minor league deal. Uh I'd kind of use Monasterio out there, whatever. I would love to see Tyler Black get some looks. I, know, I And I think it's because of the same things that I've highlighted, the questions at third base. And I don't love the glove at third. And I think that's part of it. But man, I, at this point, if, if you're that desperate at third, like I'd love to see Black in some sort of role uh, between third base, you know, and, and even if you DH him from time to time, even if he's coming off the bench, like he's fast, he's exciting. But that's a guy that I, I wonder if his positional limitations do kind of, I guess, delay his chance to get an opportunity at the big league level. And then once he finally gets up there, it's like, Oh, why did we care about the defensive limitations? This guy hits, he's fast. And he's got sneaky power. We should have just had him up here and figured it out. Edward Julien style. And I think that's with the brewers. I think that's a situation. Tyler black could be similarly in.
1: Yeah. There are a whole bunch of like kind of weird tweeners in this brewers lineup. Um, Santana, thankfully is a, is a rental that's coming off the books. Um, but I like okay rental coming off the books. Terang and Monasterio at second and third is the weird one for me. Mm-hmm. Like you should make space for Tyler Black at one of those spots,
3: and I think they will next year. So yeah. uh, but I'm surprised they haven't tried that this year, as you know they make this this playoff push as well. Yeah. Dang on the Brewers. Question from MTWGA4. More info on Luis Lara. Full dive. Who is this kid? 18 years old and thriving in high A. Could this kid end up being special? I actually replied to to this gentleman with what the write up on Laura, uh, because of course he's number 63 on our top 100 list. Uh, the Brewers center field prospect is, you know, one of my favorite lower level guys, and since he's been promoted to High A, really hasn't missed a beat. There's a question about how much power he's going to hit for as a five nine, you know, 160 pound kid, but he's 18. I do see some room for a little bit more impact I think he's flashed more impact than you know some of the other hitters with his profile uh, I think there's there's a little bit more juice in there and look it's going to always be below average power but I see 70 hits I see a elite approach already from both sides of the plate he's a good runner he plays a great center field I'm not surprised at all that this guy's hitting the ground running at high a and it's it's really impressive though at 18 years old that he was able to get straight to full season ball, do what he did. And then now get to high A and continue doing what he did or what he's doing between the two levels, 87 games, 283, 370, 355 slash line. Of course, the slug is where, you know, he's, he's losing that the, the OPS counters, but he's yeah. getting on base at a really high clip. I think he's going to grow into doubles power and sneak out a few home runs, you know, a year. And I think that's going to be enough with a plus plus hit tool. Fantastic field to hit from both sides and, and a good approach.
1: Yeah. Dude's slapping the ball around the ballpark and like I know next to nothing about him too. So I guess I was going to ask you the same thing. Who is this kid? But thank you for the, uh, yeah, th- <laughs> thank you for the information 30 bags so far this year too, to go along with that very low K rate and he's walking a good bit. So, um, you know, that might just be hey, young kid knees feel great. He doesn't have power mass on him, so he's swiping bags. He's like a featherweight playing in a heavyweight, you know, high A. So I've I've got no idea if the stolen bases are going to dissipate. I assume not. And with the advancements of puberty, I bet he is uh I, I bet he's hitting more than two homers in 87 games next year. That's the thing. He's literally
3: 18. And so I'm excited to just yeah. see him just naturally grow into a little bit more impact. But the, the thing is, is like, yeah, there's not a, like big time max exit velocities or anything like that. But he's consistently hitting the ball 100 miles an hour plus, which it's like cool. that's why he's hitting for a high average is. Yeah, it's it's not 110. You're not flashing 110s, but. There's not a lot of weak contact either. It's consistently, he has 22 batted balls this year over 100 miles an hour, which for okay. a guy with his profile, you, you don't see that very often. Uh, so I, I'm I'm encouraged by him. I think he's going to hit the ball harder as he progresses. And the instincts are phenomenal. Uh, I mean, just the, the, the knack for the game. Like he's not a pure burner. I think he's such a good base dealer because of the instincts. And you see those instincts out there in center too. Uh, 63rd ranked prospect for us for a reason. He's going to keep rising. I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Luis Lara. Cool beans. Next question. I know you're going to like this one, Jack. This comes from Ryan Barnes, another friend of ours on X. I always enjoy our interactions. How worried should we be about Tinkent struggling in AA after being sheltered? Jack, I'll let you answer first on this one.
1: Uh, not worried. You thought I was going to say panic mode. I've got both hands down on the panic button. Not worried. This is his first chance to show what he can do fully unleashed. Mm-hmm. Um, he's still incredibly young. He still has incredibly electric stuff. And this is his first chance to be stretched out. There are so many young pitchers that make their way to the upper minors that once they hit uncharted waters, they, I, it, like things dissipate so quickly. And I think the next step in pitching progression among prospects is sustaining your stuff through the fifth and sixth inning. Tink never needed to do that in low A and high A. He never got the opportunity to do that. So he was just thrown into the deep end and they're pretty much shark infested waters in double A right now. So he's thrown in here and it's, Hey man, we're going to let your pitch count climb to places. It really hasn't been in pro ball. And we need you to keep getting outs at that point. Yeah. It doesn't work like that. This is going to be a big off season. I would say place zero stock And Tink struggles as his volume goes up until about the all-star break next year. And if that's still a problem, then we can reassess. But right now I'm saying, Hey, this guy is is working more innings than he ever has in his life. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought Walker Bueller made a great, um, he made a great point a couple of weeks ago. Um, He said my first full season of professional baseball, I surpassed my four years of high school. Like yeah. in terms of innings, yeah. this guy's throwing more innings than he ever has in his life. He might just be tired at this point. So let's let him get fresh and let's see what he looks like when he works six innings next May.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, again, there's there's probably more at hand. And I'd love to talk to somebody, you know, within the, the Cardinals front office about the approach of this, because I'm sure there's plenty of rationale and, and, and an explanation to why they approach it this way. But I just find it fascinating that you're looking at somebody who, you know, he's pretty much never thrown more than 60 pitches actually no he never thrown more than 80 pitches before his promotion to double a and most of his starts were around 60 70 pitches then he gets promoted to double a and they unleash him on pretty much a minimum of 70 pitches mostly throwing 80 pitches in a lot of these outings and so it's like not only are you adjusting to better competition as a 20 year old just turned 21 and and adjusting to the Texas league which is a tough place to pitch, you're also managing a workload that you've never really had before. Whereas you know, we had one instance of a pitch count above 70 prior to his promotion to double a, you know, it, pretty much in his entire minor league career, if I'm not missing anything. And then it gets brought up to double a and like every day is, Hey, you've never done this before. Try it again. Try it again. Try it again. And it's like, th- he's got to be tired. He, he has to be worn. And I'm looking at the secondary stuff. I think that's where the command of the secondaries is kind of dissipated as he's probably just become fatigued. His change up so far over the last five starts, man, like he's thrown 51 of them, 34 balls, 17 strikes like that. That's brutal. You'll get the curveball. That pitch has been there for him over the last five starts, 51 balls, 50 strikes. All he's had really going for him is the fastball. So. To me, it's like, I I think this is a guy who's gassed and who they like sheltered, but then really unleashed all of a sudden. And I thought that was an interesting approach, especially after he had that like chest issue thing earlier this year that was more of a scare didn't end up being too bad. Um, But he is coming off one of his better starts at the double A level four quality innings, no walks, one run uh, against Tulsa. But yeah, I think the approach kind of set him up to, a struggle in double a and i i don't think they care that much about the results i'm with you i'm not going to be worried until a, another 15 starts where it's not looking any better in double a as he has time to recoup and and is built
1: up after this year and, and it wouldn't have been fun but it might have been best if he spent the whole year in high a and he elevated his workload in high a that's kind of yeah. what i was
3: thinking right Like you look at the end of his last start in high a or second to last start I don't have data on the last start Second to last start He was sitting 97 with the fastball And it's like First double A start He averaged 98 On the fastball Averaged And then it's just faded V eyes And faded and faded And faded and faded, and faded.
1: Um, He's tired I, I would bet a lot of money That he's tired And now he's, he's tired, tired And he's seeing the, and he's the seeing best competition of his life Exactly By like a very wide margin At a launch pad Yes
3: So the, to answer it not very concerned um and i kind of hope he doesn't throw much more this year to be honest i I hope that this is like maybe makes one more start and kind of shut it down i think this was a really big year for him developmentally though in terms of learning and building up and it's a big deal to see tink hence over 80 pitches and now we're consistently seeing him over 80 pitches so recoup in the off season come back with a fresh body in double a now with experience throwing 80 plus pitches. And I think we're going to see an unleashed tank hence next year. Yep. couple more questions. This one is from Alan Witts. I know a Marlins guy out there. And of course he wants to know about Giddy Cape. It's at wits 13 on X. Do you have any concerns with Giddy Capay? He hasn't exactly set the world alight this season. It's, it's funny, funny, man. Do you, do you remember when we did the Marlins episode and and it was in the off season, kind of leading into the season and I know, I think it was Fangraphs had Yidi Capé in the top 100, and a lot of people were very hyped up on Capé. And uh, we're seeing really, just I would say he had probably as much hype as any prospect in the Marlins system out you know, position player wise, which isn't saying a ton. But there's people very excited about Capé, and I was looking at you know beneath the hood, I just didn't totally get it. We talked about that. Like I could see the projection physically. He's six three. He's long. He's lanky. Like you can see the, the long levers turning into power. But the EVs in 2022 were not great. The contact rates in 2022 were fine. The chase rates were were, were high. I would say the contact rates were good, but the chase rates were high. And I was shocked when people were giving these like big power projections for Yidi Cape. this guy had a sub 100 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velocity last year. So I was like, okay, well how much power is he going to hit for? And he, that hit tool better translate and he better, you know, keep the chase rate pretty much at 30%. It better not get any higher. It's jumped to 40% this year. The contact rates have now kind of dropped to average and the power has been the same, right? It's, it's still below average exit velocity. So I, I think that, Yidi Capay may never have actually been the dude that some were kind of selling him as because he's also not a great defender at short, probably moving to second base. So again, I just don't really, I never really got the the hype around him. He's 20. He's going to turn 21 in a, in a week. There's plenty of time to figure things out, but it's not like he's a burner. It's not like he's a great with a great defender. Now the hit tool looks closer to average than plus. And he's aggressive? <laughs> like I, I just what what am I dreaming on here with Yiddie Cape, other than him growing into massive strength or something and improving his exit velocities by uh,
1: a lot, like massively. I I don't know. The numbers are like full blown bat in yeah. Boloit this year, which which is really discouraging. Um and I think a lot of people got excited because he was so good at the complex. And then he gets off the complex and, you know, he <laughs> makes it, what, five minute drive to Jupiter? Like it's pretty much still the complex if you're playing in low A. Yes. Um, but, he, you know, he gets his taste of low A, 37 games. He has a 91 WRC plus. So I think you're looking at a guy that is holding his own in low A at 19 years old in a very thin system. And you're pointing at him saying, this is all we've got. So yeah. we better latch on. Um This year has been like miserable, man. And the number that jumps out to me is he's walking at a 3% clip. I mean, it's just bad is going to be worse. Yeah. Yeah. Last 45 games, games, 492 OPS. Like, 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 is he swinging at everything? He's hitting 220 with a 250 OBP. Yeah, he's pretty much.
3: I mean, over that span, 55% swing rate. And at fastball, is 58%. Why would you throw this
1: guy a strike? And in 26 doubles is like a good amount of doubles this year for a minor leaguer who's played what 120 games so far this year, but I, resulting in a three Oh eight slug, there's no power elsewhere. Yep. And he's getting on base at a two fifty clip. Like can't do it. No, I, I, that was one I didn't get, I didn't
3: think it'd be this bad at all. You know, I thought he'd no. be a solid prospect, but man, I, I thought, I thought people were getting a little ahead of themselves on, on cafe. And I, I think you should absolutely, you know, if you're a Marlins fan, definitely be worried about, you know, how he progresses because it's not like the Marlins have, you know, much of a uh, history of, of turning guys like this around. Um, So it's, it's, it's nearing the dire, he's 21. I hate saying that, but like, it just just looks really bad. Like, I I, I don't want to pile on, but it it just looks rough. So we'll see if he can come back and look different next year, but I'd say just pretty much
1: as bad as it could look both beneath the hood and, you know, on the, on the surface level stats. So, I'm going to walk through some position player prospects in the Marlins system, and you stop me when you feel like Giddy Capay f- fits in here. If we're just ranking position player prospects in the Marlins organization, because he would be below Marco Varius and the other who guy who went over him. in the Robertson deal. Yeah. yeah. Um, he would probably still be below Khalil Watson, right? Yeah. Yeah. But Watson traded. Um, he's definitely below Xavier Edwards. Yep. He's below Amaya. Yep. Um, Jacob Berry. Victor Mesa, Junior. Yep, Victor Mesa Junior. Yeah, Victor. Victor is he playing baseball? No, I think he's in he's in the islands. Yeah, He just kind just, of challenges. I mean, yeah, he, yeah, he, he and me and Gene Segura just kind yeah. of hanging out. Yeah, just um, out on the boat. Two draft guys, Brock Radenberg and Kemp Alderman. I think I'd take those guys too. Dane I- Myers. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, like that's I, where we're at. Man. I think I take Dane. Dane. Nassim, Nassim. Who do you take? Nassim or Yidi Cape? Y- Nassim, <laughs> you can play defense.
3: Like Yidi Cape, like it'll be one of those like goes from borderline top 10 guy to I think like bottom of the top 30. Again, he could come back and look totally different, but <laughs> there's just so many things that need to improve. Like there's so many things that need to improve that I just don't see it happening. Crazy. Tough. Last question. This comes from at just underscore lions on X, my guy, Alex. Yeah. Which of the Mariners young shortstop prospects do you think will be the best of young Emerson and Pete This is a fun one. So that's Cole young. So here's the interesting thing is young. Like I don't even, I almost look at him as a guy that's probably going to move off of, off of shortstop. And then you have an Emerson who, Cole Emerson kind of looks very similar, and I think is more projectable. And then Ty Pete, he, he by the way was just on our, our one of the shows on our network, the Marine Layer podcast. Uh, if you're a Mariners fan, go check that out. You'll really enjoy it. Uh, Ty Pete's been going nuts really since he's since he's debuted, and it's really exciting. Obviously, Cole Young is the highest ranked of the group, and I, I would say he's the safest. So I would say Cole Young. But, man, you could make a case for any of these three. And I think that's great news for Mariners fans. I'll say, dude, Cole Emerson is really impressing me. Just turned 18. He was was one of their three first-round picks. I'm shocked at how hard he's hitting the ball. Like, this guy, I think, has higher upside and then Cole Young. Cole Young's bat is just so advanced and he's just been so awesome pretty much at every stop so far. But Emerson, a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger frame, already putting up impressive EVs. And I'm I'm watching. I got some video of like his open open side swing. He's still not even using his lower half to the best of his ability yet. Like he he could tap into more power. And this is a guy that's already popping 108s, uh, you know, 108 mile per hour exit velocities. It's power to all fields. If he starts to use that lower half a little bit better, I think we can see comfortably above average power. I think Emerson has the highest upside in terms of just the bat i think pete has the highest upside of like tools across the board and i think cole young is the safest like give me that guy
1: i know he's going to be a solid big leaguer so I, how do you answer that question i'm really happy to have all three of them <laughs> yeah that's how i answered that question um colt emerson in 24 games between the complex and lowe modesto slashing 374 496 549 so he's been on a tear like bigger terror than really anybody in the draft at this point. I've watched video at type Pete and this guy, like he looks like he's been working with the Mariners strength and conditioning coaches for three years already. Yeah, yeah. He already looks like he's got a big league body right now and he's 18 yeah. years old. So, um, you know, it's hard based on a couple of videos at type yeah. Pete. It's hard Absolutely. based on 24 games of Cole Emerson. When you have a year and change sample of Cole young being really good. Yeah. Um, and having said that, I think you can get risky here. And I think that you can say I'd prefer Colt Emerson over the other two. Um, yeah. I think you could say I'd prefer Ty Pete over the other two. Um, it, it's just, it's impossible for me to put Cole Young third on this list. If I were no, to no, There's no, no. way. I, it, I, Pete, Pete's third for me. Um, yeah. Just I, I'm
3: probably the same. Yeah. There's a lot of moving parts here. Like, you know, there's, there's some hit tool concern. I have as minimal hit tool concern as you can have in an 18 year old prep prospect with Cole Emerson and it's really shades of Cole Young. Um Cole Young though again he's flashed like 110s which is nuts. Uh like he's got way more you know power than I think people give him credit for. But Emerson you can just see there's room for even more. I'd go Young, Emerson, Pete, um and I think Young's going to be the best player of the bunch just because he's he's just such a complete ball player but it would not surprise me in the slightest if Colt Emerson ends up being better. And I've been really impressed with his bat speed, his field to hit to all fields. And again, like he still has more to unlock there very, very evidently in in that swing. So I'm excited to see what they develop here with Emerson. I I loved that pick. And I think Pete was a really fun one too. Uh, By all means a really cool dude as well. If you check out that Marine layer interview as well. Uh, But man, I think you hit the nail on the head, Jack. It's exciting to have all three.
1: Yes. Very exciting. And pick any of the three and you've got your bridge man between JP Crawford when that extension is up and um, the next Derek Jeter in Felny and Yeah, I know a lot of people are showing up big money
3: in the 2023 Bowman Chrome for his spots and breaks, but uh, we've yet to see him play professionally, but we know he's a big prize international free agent. I already know that. I saw it. (laughs) I mean, it's exciting (laughs) though. Like that's another guy. Like he's a highly regarded prospect no matter what we'll see how he does. But Like that's not even including him. This is a system that has regenerated really quickly. Before we wrap up, I just wanted to highlight, shout out Jack Leiter since coming off the dev list Mm -hmm. has been fantastic. Changed his mechanics, cleaned things up, and just has been pounding the strike zone. Looks really, really good, really excited for him. And then Jackson Jobe, want to talk about pounding the strike zone? His last five starts, Jack, 28 strikeouts, zero walks. Zero, 71% strike rate, 18% swinging strike rate, Pound the strike zone, get swings and misses. That'll play. I, I think Jackson Job is really starting to put it all together.
1: I love it. I I love what Job is doing, and just like watching the the video, like the you know the clip montages of the strikeouts that I've seen, everything looks like it's leveling up right now. Yep, which is fun. Well, dangerous. Love it. Well,
3: hope you enjoyed this mailbag episode. We'll be doing these more often, especially in the off season. uh, So you can keep looking out for those. Be sure to follow myself or Jack on Twitter to be able to keep up with that as well as the call up underscore pod on Twitter as well. We've been much more active on there, posting highlights and, and more things there. So definitely worth the follow. And it's been cool to see that Twitter account kind of grow and grow as well. Thank you for listening. If you could take a moment to leave a rating or subscribe to the YouTube channel, I'd really appreciate it. Link to just baseball merch is in the episode description. Get the hat on right now. If you want to go check that out, always a great way to support the podcast and we appreciate it. Look forward to talking prospects with you later this week. We have some awesome conversations that Jack had at the ballpark with Quinn Priester, Colt Keith. Uh, we, of course uh, we got Henry Malloy as well. Like it, there's just so many, there's so many fun players right now across the game. We're trying to talk to as many as possible, uh, but Justin Henry Molloy, also, I know you really enjoyed that conversation, Jack. So keep an eye out for those.
1: Those will be out very shortly within this week. Any final thoughts, Jack? I don't think so. One more guy to add to the fold there. You mentioned Jack lighter and Jackson job lower level, but um, well to a lower degree, He's in high a Parker Messick is next in line for the Cleveland audience. He's Let's been go. throwing the shit yeah. out of the ball.
3: Love it. And we'll talk to Lauder as well in the next episode. Just got promoted to double A, making up for lost time. Looks fantastic. We'll talk prospects with you tomorrow.